This is the Faith Ventures Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, telling stories of Christians doing business for the glory of God. If you appreciate this program, support the nonprofit work of LCI by donating at libertarianchristians.com slash donate. And if you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcasts at libertarianchristians.com. Welcome back to Faith Ventures, where we tell inspiring stories about Christians in business and our life in Christ together. Today, joining me is Mr. Benj Miller, who is the CEO of System and Soul. He does a lot of executive coaching and business coaching. He has a lot of interesting things to say about the way in which we run our businesses. And uh, he's joining me today to talk about his career and his journey through faith and business. So Benj, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Appreciate you having me on here and looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, this is awesome. I, even our previous conversations, I had so much fun talking with you and learning about you. And I'm excited that you're going to be able to share your story today. So let's start off with what we do every time, which is to say, what is your career journey? Let's talk about that. And how did that kind of proceed? What are some of the biggest highlights of your career journey and how you got to where you are today? Sure. So I stumbled into a internship before I graduated high school that was in kind of the media arts, design, video editing. This is way before anybody could do it on any computer kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah. And um, I did well. My brain worked really well in the creative space. So I think I kind of found a little bit of my niche, my place in the world. I used those skills to work my way through college. I was a communications major. And through that process, one night, this is like, 1999 so that the internet's becoming a thing and i'm surfing the web and i'm looking at all these websites are just awful like trash you know then um, i go to the roommate across the hall from me in the dorm and i said hey if i design a website could you build it and he was like yeah of course sure and i'm like really yeah so he and i worked our way through college building websites for people and the last one we built was for a Ford dealership. And I went to deliver this, what we thought was a beautiful website. It was not only beautiful, but it was, we came to later find out, as far as we know, the first dealership website that had new and used car inventory online in real time. So we deliver this and you know, you've got what you can imagine, your 60 some year old dealership owner across the table. And he's just staring at me. I'm like, what did I do wrong? He's like, we have no idea how to use this. And <laughs> I said, okay. He said, will you come try and sell cars on the internet? And, you know, if you think about me at this point, I've got a little bit of an identity of like the creative guy, right? The designer. And you want me to come sell cars? Sure. That felt like the absolute worst it, job. It, and then it was one of those... sides. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then it was one of those moments where it didn't quite happen like this, but you slide a piece of paper across the table with a number on it. And you're like, oh yeah, I can try that. So... <laughs> <laughs> that was the the kickstart of my professional career, my first professional job. Normally within six months, I was doing 20% of that dealership's new and used car sales online by myself. Goodness gracious. <laughs> so that was a moment of, okay, I can write my ticket. I can go anywhere. I think I sold the first car on carsdirect.com. Like there was just some first, oh, it was just the right moment, the right time. Unfortunately, none of this has anything to do with any of my journey, but we, um, <laughs> my wife and I, we grew up in the middle of Ohio, got married. When we graduated, we wanted to move to the big city. So for us, there were only two choices, Chicago or New York. 
my wife was a collegiate volleyball player. We landed a job. She landed a job at Northwestern. So there it is. We're going to Chicago. We go up there looking for apartments. I did a bunch of interviews. There's going to be no problem to get a job doing what I had been doing and went in to meet the coaches she was going to coach with. And they look at us and say, so we're about to get on a private jet to go to Auburn and we will basically <laughs> be blacklisted here as soon as we do. So what would it take for you guys to go to Auburn? My wife and I went on a walk and I look at her and say, Erica, where is Auburn? <laughs> and she says Alabama. And of course, I think that sounds like the exact opposite of Chicago or New York. And it is. Pretty much. I've been there many yeah. times. <laughs> we, long story short, we moved there. We lived there for two years. I got a job, same industry, same thing. Hated it. Just the culture and me didn't vibe down there like what had happened in Ohio. So I went out on my own and started to do a lot of contract work for an agency here in Atlanta, which is where I'm at now. And so my wife's gig was done there. We moved here. We're living in Atlanta. That job was great. Kind of went from a junior designer to art director to creative director, which in the world of creative, that's the hierarchy. And I moved it really, really quick and got myself working directly for the CEO, which resulted in a, I quit, you're fired conversation. We can argue who said what first, but that was basically <laughs> the conversation. And I found myself kind of with the opportunity, forced opportunity to go out on my own, which was, I think, what I wanted inside of me. I didn't know about business building. I didn't know about running a business. I'm not sure I even had aspirations to have a business. I just wanted to go out on my own. But when you start hiring people and more and more people, you realize at some point that you have a business. Then in 2009, we grew a ton. Keep in mind, I still have no idea what I'm doing. So in 2010, I made a few decisions and the bottom kind of tanked out of this business. I can point the finger totally at myself. And it was a low point in my personal kind of story and my career story. But what came out of that was a coach looking at me in the eyes and being like, hey, you have three choices. Like, go get a job like a normal human. Yeah. Scale this back to something small that is enjoyable like you had a year or two ago or learn how to run a business. And there was something at that moment that pulled me into learning everything I could about business building, the art, the science. I read books. I got in a peer group. I already had this coach, which I had just recently gotten. So I fell in love with the art and science of business building. That company is 20 years old. It's still going. I've started many others since then. So I'm on number 10 right now. I plan to stay in this one through the end of the decade. So locked in for the long haul on this one. Cool. So that's a really wild story to kind of go from selling cars to building straight up businesses large and small, I'm, I'm sure. What are some of the aspects of that that like, how did your struggle and your journey there definitely has some, you know, you said high and lows. How did you kind of rectify or bring your faith into that? I mean, yes. did, did you did you find yourself in some really challenging moments where you felt like that the only way to get through was from kind of a trust God moment or what did that feel like to you? Yeah, I feel like the trust God moments are never ending battle mm -hmm. in my own mind, right? Because I remember, oh yeah, God, you want to take this from me. Here you go. And five minutes later, I've taken it back from him without even knowing. And that yeah. is still my story. And that's still my wrestle. And that's still my battle. I'll tell you one moment in time that was really instrumental in kind of shaping me for my business career was in that, the darkness of that 2010 moment that I mentioned. 
Mm-hmm. Because what I had let happen without knowing in the year prior, we're on this roller coaster success ride. I had put all these like little labels on myself. I always just picture like post-it notes stuck on my shirt. One says creative and one says leader and entrepreneur and successful, you know, young, talented, all these things. Yeah. And then the rug got pulled out from under me. And when that happened, it took all the labels with it. And so I was left without any labels. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know why I existed. I didn't know why I mattered. And that's a dark place. I love, I think it was Parker Palmer that says, you know, when you hit rock bottom, it's good because you're finally standing on solid ground. (laughs) Yep. I always remember that as like, okay, now we're here. We can start building back up. And that was one of those moments. Same coach that I mentioned earlier, I'm in the darkest of my darkest hours. And He looks at me and he says, Benj, at the end of the day, everybody's got to be able to answer three questions. Who am I? Why do I matter? And who is my audience? And Norman, it was, I was so like, I couldn't even think straight in this moment, right? Like the emotions were so high. The darkness was so dark. He was very kind and gentle and said, hey, I'll help you. And it's best if we do it in reverse order. So he says, so who's your audience? And I sat there dumbfounded for a long time. My dad was a pastor. I knew the Sunday school answer and I didn't want to give the Sunday school answer, but my logical mind started going through all of the options and it was the only one that made sense. It was the only one left. I was happily married. I had just had my first of now four children. He was one years old. He was healthy. I'm like, what? Like everything should be good. Like the things that really matter are fine, but I wasn't. And so I finally said, you know, my father in heaven, that's the only answer. Mm -hmm. And he said, okay, so why do you matter? And I, a little tear formed in my eye. I'm like, I have no idea, no idea why I matter anymore. And he said, all right, well, you're in marketing. Let's put it in marketing terms. How do you know what something's worth? Like, well, it's what the market will pay for it. And the tear started to well up a little bigger. And he just looked at me and said, so what did your heavenly father pay for you? There you go. And that is an 800-pound moment that will never leave me and has shaped who I am and how I react to everything in life in a way that I don't, you know, I put on on LinkedIn the other day. I was kind of just journaling to myself and put it out there. But I said, I said, most of parenting is protecting your children from your own baggage, insecurities, and anxieties. That's and so kind of true, right? Oh, man. And so it's leadership, right? Yeah. So that's one of those things that has helped me do that is knowing who I mm-hmm. am, whose I am, why I matter. Finally, I worked, it took me a little longer on that third question of, of who I am I, because I wanted it to be in, in words that I really resonated with and could carry for a long period of time. Yeah, it's really fascinating. And I'm curious to what extent does that kind of bleed over into the way you work with your clients. Let's talk a little about system and soul, like you're coaching people, you're offering advice, you're building businesses. How does this kind of build out into the way you interact with your people? That's a fun question. So for some context, I work with senior leadership teams. So when we say executive coaching, business coaching, a lot of people think like one-on-one or career coaching or, when I, or you know, therapeutic coaching. That's not, <laughs> I love the dynamics of the team. What, so, you, mean, you mean you can't give me therapy now? Oh, Benj, 
I was really needing some help from. No, I'm just kidding. That's why you have a podcast, right? (laughs) That's why we're doing this. Yeah, it's 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 personal therapy from Ben. That's that's it. The whole reason I have a podcast. (laughs) That's that's my reasoning too. So when we when I work with teams, there's some like I said, art and science to business building, and we want to infuse all of that. But I think that what comes to the heart of your question is our view and approach to leadership development is different than what you're going to hear out in the world. You know, mm-hmm. in the world, we're going to read, no knock on them, but you read the Harvard Business Review and it's going to talk about things like strategic thinking and effective communication and marshalling resources and cultivating talent, all of these things that great leaders do and they're important. But the data and the science that we have through a giant research, I won't go into, but actually says that 77% of a leader's effectiveness goes back to who they are when they show up in the room more than what they do. And they coined two terms around this, you know, bubbled out of the research, but it's inwardly sound and others focused. Mm. And so when we walk into a room of senior leaders and we have these five bullet points for each one of those and really sound and the others focus and we start talking through what it looks like as leaders to show up like that, people are pretty quick and vulnerable to admit that there's a gap there in the way that they show up. And so once we do that, I encourage them just to take a micro action. What is the smallest step you can make? Pick one thing on the list. There's 10 things. You might have four bad grades. You might have 10, who knows? <laughs> Pick one. We can't work on a lot of things. What's our priority? Pick one. And then what's the micro action that you're committed to do that's just going to move you closer to being who you want to be? And I think that that who you want to be is probably at the heart of what we do. So when we build a one-page strategic plan for an organization, it's as much about who the organization wants to be as what they want to do. And so we want the same thing for the people in the organization is to be able to understand what they want, who they want to be, what they want to do in their life and support those, make sure the business aligns with who they want to be and what they want to do in their career. That's awesome. Yeah. Not to laud us or even at our organization, but one of the things that we have tried to understand about ourselves is who do we want to be as an organization, as LCI even, by that being we want to be a trusted resource for people. And in fact, that's why we're trying to bring people in like you to both improve ourselves and produce outwardly for other people. Yeah. And I I can kind of see that, you know, the way that that's playing out in your own work here. So I don't know. I think that's, that's kind of neat. I like it. Well, uh, what do you ascertain that is, is okay. So we're trying to understand who we are, who we're going to be. We're going to be inwardly sound. We're going to be others focused. Can we unpack that kind of others focused a little more? How does that play out with respect to, you know, both in the business as well as to the customers you serve? If that makes sense. I I think I got that right. Yeah. In so much of, I think, leadership is pushing against the gravity of false choices. Like, we've got to either be about results or be about people. You know, like, Mm -hmm. I think if we're about our people, we're going to get better results. If we're about our customers, we're going to get better results. If we make decisions that are about the organization, you're going to suffocate both the people and the customers. So... There's a tension there, but there's also an opportunity that if we can shift our thinking, then we can work to have really clear conversations. So much of same coach I've quoted twice, I'll quote him a third time. This guy has been a Yoda to me for like 16 years. So 
and excuse my French, he says that a leader's job is to eat ambiguity and shit clarity. <laughs> yeah. And so many times leaders fail to live in reality. Mm-hmm. We'd rather hide from it. We'd rather not face it. So even the, if I go talk to Sally in my department about what she really wants in her career, I might find out that she's not best here. And so I'd rather not have that conversation to not face that reality than to get on the same page with Sally and let's figure out a plan. Maybe we can make this the place for her or maybe we can put her in a great position to exit and go find that and leave her position in a better place for the next person that comes in. So, so much of when you're talking about serving your people, when you're talking about serving your customers, it's amazing to me, like that first company I started that I mentioned, you know, they branding and marketing and so many of the clients that we work with, they've never asked questions to their customer. Mm-hmm. How are we doing? Are there other things that we could do to serve you better? Are there other products that you're looking, you know, that you'd look to us to bring to market? You know, just simple questions. People don't have those conversations. Yeah. There's something really powerful about when you do take on the mentality of this business exists, not to, I mean, obviously we want to do the best we can and make profit and so on and so forth. But in order to do that, we have to provide something that other people want. We have to serve somebody else. If all we're doing is serving internally, well, that's nice. You're Maybe you're creating that art for yourself or whatever, but that's not really a business at that point. But there is something powerful when you kind of retool one's focus into that kind of like epistemic reality <laughs> and in a way that goes beyond the mere, we exist in order to make one transaction, another transaction, another transaction, and really look toward what are we doing as a company to serve this particular kind of customer better? And I'm using some vague terms here, but this has been really powerful to me in my own work, incidentally, which is in the medical device industry and the way in which we have to respond to customer needs and develop products that they want. And sometimes it's kind of inscrutable just by looking at us like, why do you have this? Why do you do this? (laughs) Actually, it really comes down to being customer responsive. I've had to learn that over many years. Yeah, yeah. I have a term for what you're talking about a minute ago, because most people as an organization think that they need a value proposition. You know, what's your unique value proposition? Mm -hmm. And I think the brands that stand out, they have a unique point of view. Mm. So it's like, what is your point of view? And maybe this is you as a leader, maybe it's you as the company, but what is your unique point of view that separates you from everybody else? Yeah, that's actually, again, I'm kind of thinking about my own business that I work in. And our point of view is actually more important in some respects than the value prop where we make keyboards and mice. Like, okay, but there's all sorts of companies that do that. Why does ours matter in a way that others don't? And it has to do with the fact that we're making them for the medical industry, for those high risk areas where you need them to be more durable, disinfection proof and et cetera. And I mean, now I'm getting off into the other stuff, but but like that point of view is crucial. Yeah. And the way that we train that into our people is crucial. Otherwise, we don't do well. And so it's a neat thing. And I'm talking more about my own business here than I probably ever have in an episode thus far. But it's interesting. <laughs> That's perfect for me. You're getting you're getting the therapy you want. Oh, uh, yeah. That's exactly. <laughs> get what I paid for. <laughs> no, but but I appreciate it. And I think to kind of circle back where this kind of delves back into the faith aspect and what do we believe about God's design for the way we live. 
do you find that this really resonates or has a concordant effect with the way you believe in which we are to interact as Christians with the world? I mean, both fellow Christian to Christian and Christian to non-Christian. How have you experienced that through your, either your business or what have you learned from doing the business that's kind of resonated there? Well, I think it starts with a belief that a couple of beliefs. One is that commerce is God's means of provision. Yep. There are others. I think commerce is meant to be the primary one. Mm-hmm. Through that commerce, I believe that we get to, and I'm a little biased, like I love the small, medium, local business. Like mm-hmm. that's the world that I live in. Keep that in mind with my point of view. But these small and medium-sized businesses are better places to work typically. Like we have more of a voice. We have more of a career path. You know, they care about their people more, care about the families that they employ. You know, you get into these big organizations and nobody knows your wife's name, your kid's name, what's going on, you know? So, right. And as you grow and scale, you know, teams might know that. And that's great. You need to keep the human connection. But small businesses also have a greater impact on the communities that they live in. Mm -hmm. And some of that's by impacting those people, jobs, families, but some of it's through their engagement and philanthropy in the communities that they serve, or even a small business owner that's able to do the same thing, right? So when you think about commerce, it's not just this commerce for commerce sake and commerce to make a owner wealthy. It is commerce for the sake of community. It's commerce for the sake of impact. So that's what kind of drives my beliefs. I think my approach to my faith in the workplace is to show up and care for other people and try and be a salt and light and really be a safe place, be a stable place for people so that when life gets rough and they're asking the tough questions, then we can have a great conversation. And I don't shy away from my faith, but I also don't make it the central piece of the business. I did in my first business, which is still around. And we still, to this day, every week for 20 years, we start Monday morning off in in prayer. And that's a weird thing because you're in the recruiting talent conversation. You're like, oh yeah, and you got to be cool with this, right? And, (laughs) And please don't sue us and whatever, whatever, you know? So... That's been interesting. In the company I'm running now, as a leadership team, we pray every week. But it's not when we are talking to our customers, when we're talking to our coaches. We have 35 coaches across the country that do what we do. You know, you're not going to find scripture verses in our workbooks or anything like that. Now, truth recognizes truth. So if you're reading yep. through our stuff, you're going to be like, oh, I see where you're coming from. <laughs> I, you know, we have the same father. It's that mm-hmm. kind of, that's, that's been my approach. I don't think it's for everybody. I know people that are called to bold evangelism with their life and do that well. And I would never tell them they should do it my way. And I would hope they never tell me that I should do it their way. Yeah. Well, it's that classic quote, you know, preach Christ and if you must use words. Yes. Sort of of approach. Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think that's appropriate for a lot of our businesses that we're involved in and run and interacting with customers is that that example makes the biggest difference down the line. I'll tell you one other thing though that's been really important integrating faith and work is both my coach and my peer group. My peer group is made up of CEOs that love Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so we just met this morning for half day and one of the guy has a big offer to sell his company and he's wrestling with, you know, it was premature, came out of the blue and 
So one of the questions is like, is your business something God's called you to steward? And if so, has he released you from it? Hmm. That's a great question. But if you aren't around a group of believers that can help you wrestle with these types of issues in that type of way, then again, all we can do is read what the Harvard Business Review tells us on how to negotiate a good deal. Yeah, those are wise words. (laughs) I hope I'm in that position someday (laughs) to be able to ask that question. I know a lot of folks who will be listening to this will think similarly, but those are you know, wise things to kind of keep in mind as we traverse through this pathway that before us. Yeah, I think it applies even in a job, even in a family Mm -hmm. situation, you know, just stopping to ask, you know, is this something I picked up on my own or is this something that I was asked to carry? And if so, Mm -hmm. am I released from it? Am I released from this job? Am I released from, you know, if God didn't call you to it, I think you're absolutely free to, this is all just my own theology, but you're free to do what you want. But if he called yeah. if he called you to something, which is a subtle whisper a lot of times, then you better pay attention to that and go back yeah. to the person that appointed you in that place. I can concur with that. Not everything is a, is an absolute calling. Some things are, and you better be paying attention when they are, and you better be ready to listen when that still small voice has something to say. Yeah, and that's where I'm at with system and soul. I very clearly heard you are to carry this mantle until 2030. Huh. There's a lot of clear, there's, it's a little scary for the startup guy, right? Yeah. But there's a lot of clarity and focus and don't question it. One of my clients, my favorite client, I love working with, they sold their business and he's like, well, what am I going to do? And I'm like, every piece of me wanted to be like, come run this company. <laughs> and, and God was like, don't do it. Don't, don't do, do it. it. I told you, you got to carry this one. I'm like, all right. Okay. Did you bring him on board at all? <laughs> uh, he's an advisor. Okay. All right. There you go. Well, that's good, man. Well, uh, as we begin drawing to our close here, I want to ask you a, one question that I plan on asking every interviewee for our podcast here at Faith Ventures. And that's, you've offered a lot of lessons thus far, but imagine if you were to go back in time and give yourself some advice at a younger age about faith, about work, about business, about what you're going to be doing and about how you can prepare best and do what is best as you're continuing to learn, grow and work. What would you say to that? I feel like there's a book in there that (laughs) we we could take the whole thing. The thing that comes to mind the most, and this is from my own personal struggles, is that the comparison trap is just evil. And if I'm on a journey and I'm looking over at somebody else on their journey and comparing, that it assumes two things. It assumes that we started from the same place, and it assumes that we're trying to finish at the same place. And rarely are either of those true. And it goes back a little bit to the being goals versus the doing goals. Who do I want to be at the end of the journey? So I can compare how I'm doing versus how they're doing, but I can't compare how I'm being versus how they're being for two reasons. I don't really know how they're being. And number two, because I'm called to be something that's absolutely unique to me. So to compare myself with someone else is to look across the fence and tell God, you should have made me that person. And so I'm convicted by that and it creeps in every once in a while. And man, it takes a minute to notice that that's what's happening. But we all have our own race. And I'm not even sure, Yeah, I would have said it was a race for the first 16 years of my career. I think 
it's better as a walk. If this life, this journey, whether it's a business or family or anything, is just a slow, long walk with Jesus, I think we end up in a better place than trying to race everybody else around us. Yeah, like kind of Paul's exhortation, notwithstanding, I think that you're realizing that the race is not one where you are, as you're saying, comparing against somebody else, but rather like a comparison about who was I yesterday? Am I today something better? Am I today something different? And who do I need to be? How do I need to act in order to get to tomorrow and be yet changed again to model yeah. after Jesus in the end? Yeah, 100%. That's, that's kind of cool. I, I feel like we should be talking about mimetic theory at some point, and maybe we'll do that after this, after we're done here for other reasons. <laughs> but I want to also, you know, give you kind of an open floor again as we draw to a close. Anything else that you would say as a message to our audience today, what would your exhortation to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ here as we draw to a close? I think I would leave with the encouragement that there are a lot of hard things in this world and almost all of them are able to be used as the thing that trajects us into the next better version of ourselves. So it's, you know, it is the considerate pure joy when you face trials. That's really easy to say and it's really easy advice to give to somebody else. But man, when you're in the middle of it and your mind is racing, the idea of stopping and considering something pure joy is pretty close to insanity. Yeah. And yet that's kind of what we're being invited into. Yeah, it's wise words once again. I think I needed to hear that again today. So thank you for that. Well, Ben, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show today. I really appreciate you making the time for us. Wishing you all the best in your business's journey and in your own personal journey with your family and your wife, your kids, all that. One last final word, I guess, is just make sure if people want to find out more about you and look at System in a Soul, I think you have a, other writings and whatnot that you want to promote as well. Where can people find you online and follow you and learn more about you? Yeah, obviously, systemandsoul.com. You can learn about our business. I'll tell you the most helpful place to find me is I have a daily email to leaders. Now, don't get overwhelmed by the dailiness. It will take you <laughs> five seconds to read. It's at the261.com. There's 261 workdays in our business calendar. And so these are reminders, inspiration, tasks that are strategically spread out over the course of the calendar year to remind us of the things we want to do and be as a leader. That's the, T-H-E, 261, the numbers, dot com. And then I'm also on LinkedIn if somebody wants to personally connect. Awesome. Well, once again, thank you, Ben. Appreciate your time. My pleasure. Well, thank you for joining us here on Faith Ventures, everyone. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>